you have to find out for yourself. You have to navigate through the world of, you know, advices and ideas and suggestions and see what works for you. Be authentic. Go off the beaten path. Define what success looks like for you. That all sounds awesome sauce, doesn't it? But what does working and living on your own terms actually look like in practice? The Leading Rebels podcast is here to offer some answers. Every two weeks, you'll hear inspiring interviews with badass women walking the talk and my own actionable advice to help you find, own, and tell your story. I'm your host, Catherine Dell, a storyteller, founder, and book nerd that's passionate about amplifying women's voices. Now let's dive into today's episode so you can become a leading rebel in your life. Hey the Rebel, welcome to this episode of Rebel Moves. I'm here with Sumia Kanalopoulos, where we stumble over her last name, but she's probably used to that by now, so it's okay. She's the head of social innovation at the Vodafone Institute, which she'll probably share a lot more about what she does soon. I'm at Celia in person in Berlin. It's been a while now. We're both in the female empowerment space. And Celia is also just super fun to be around. She's half Greek, half German, and she loves food, which is always a good connector. So we've had the pleasure of spending many, many evenings together. And so I know for a fact that Celia is a rebel. Hi, welcome Celia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So Celia, to dive right in, what would you say is the best part of being in Germany again? Because I know you were just in Greece and you must be missing it, but it must be also have a positive side to be back in Berlin. <laughs> oh God, you're starting with the tough questions, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just happy to be back with my network. I've been living in Berlin now, I think I'm going on nine years almost. So it's great to experience the energy again. When I left Greece or when I left Athens, I, was, I just got out of high school. So it's a different network I have back in Athens than I have here. So it's great to be back to, you know, into the action, to actually get work done, meet people. I think I just took off three weeks, which was the first time in the past five years I've been working. Oh, wow. Uh, which was very unusual. And I can tell you, like, after the first four days, I'm like, oh, my God, I need to start doing something. <laughs> so, and you did, which we'll talk about. <laughs> and I actually did. So, yeah, that's me. So it's great to be back in this energy. And speaking of things you've done, what have been, you know, as I said, you were in Athens and from the young woman who was in Athens to the woman you're today and uh, leading innovation at the Vodafone Institute, there's been a lot of things that have happened. So what would you say are your three rebel moves that brought you to where you are today? Well, I think the three rebel moves in the past five years, let's say, because before that, I was at university, so I wasn't much of a rebel <laughs> in contrast to everybody else. I always really wanted to work in international development. And when I finished my degree, I didn't have any past experience there. So I was looking for, you know, internships or jobs. And I think one of the first rebel moves was actually trying something different. That's how I got to the Vodafone Institute, because their focus was on tech. You know, they're working at the intersection of tech and society. And it was the first time I hadn't been in contact with that field. It always interested me. And yeah, starting there and actually saying, okay, I'm going to put, you know, international development on hold. I'm going to put, you know, impact work the way I was, you know, looking at it on hold. 
And I started working at the Vodafone Institute. And yeah, five years later or three years later, I'm actually doing the impact work I was looking for by running, you know, the Affluent Accelerator. So it all turned out not the way I was expecting it, but what I wanted to work or do, if you can call it. Just, you know, taking a chance on a different approach or a different direction was one of the first moves. The second one was interesting. When you start working at a new place, you're usually hesitant. You don't speak up right away. I've always learned, you know, pick your battles, but at the same time, speak your opinion or talk about if you see something isn't working. And so one of my first, I didn't realize it was a rebel move until one of my first bosses pointed it out to me. He was like, I love the fact or I admire the fact that you feel comfortable saying no to me in front of, you know, in a meeting or, you know, reining it in because you were planning this big, you know, conference, this big project that we were working at. And he has, you know, he's a very creative person. He has his big ideas. And I had to sometimes, you know, say like, no, we can't do it. And I think this was very defining for me because as a young woman, you don't start like saying no here, no there, and you shouldn't overuse it. But I think it was important for me to learn that, okay, it can be appreciated if it's, you know, done properly and if there are grounds behind it where you're doing it. So I think that would be something that defined me, that gave me the confidence of saying, okay, I should do this, you know, I should stick to it. And a third rebel move, I think... It's not like a big gesture. I think it's more of integrating the rebel move I'm going to talk about, integrating it into the way you work, like small things. I always like taking chances on people that might not have the credentials everybody's looking for, that might not be, you know, the most experienced, the most famous, but that you can tell they have talent and you can tell they're passionate about something. And I've been doing it here and there the past couple of years, whether it's working with a graphic designer who I know, you know, if I work with them and if I give him guidance, we can learn from each other and we can actually get to the solution we want to. Or betting on a speaker who might not be as well known, but actually has content he wants to talk, he or she wants to talk about. And it it has paid off. Usually, you know, these small bets, betting on people, you know, you don't think are obvious choices but can actually lead to great results. And then getting the feedback for that has been something I'm definitely going to stick to. I'm always going to, you know, bet on people who might need a chance or should receive, you know, opportunities. And I think also at the same time, by betting on people, if you see something is not working, don't do it or change it. I think that takes guts. And I've done it like twice already, (laughs) even especially, you know, on deadlines If it isn't working or you can't work with it or you know people aren't going to be happy with it, just change your course, just try something new. So I think these would be sort of my rebel moves. Awesome. I'd like to go back to where you started in the beginning as a mentant because you have, I'm not going to say it's a failure in quotation marks because failure is always how you see it. Funny enough, I have a very, not similar as in job story, but similar background in the sense of I was very set on going to St. Andrews for University in Scotland. I actually got accepted and they gave me this way, it's called a conditional offer. It's like, if you get this, know. you know, points, then you can get there. And I missed it by one point. And I was like, so devastated because I was like, I'm going there. I'm studying business. It's all done. And then I didn't get like this one point. But it was actually in the end, the best thing that happened. I took the year off. I actually redid one exam and I did get that one point. <laughs> but I actually found out that I like communication much better than business <laughs> in the process. And they didn't offer that there. And so it was actually not the right fit. And I ended up going somewhere else because of that. And I think that's one of those points where you're like, oh, that's like a failure. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
and they turn out to be the best thing. So going back to your story, it was like you were kind of, you know, interested in selling, going to the development sector. How was that process for you? Because I know in retrospect, it can always be like, oh, yeah, best thing ever. But in the moment, it can be a bit challenging. So how did you kind of stay with your confidence there and not let that derail you? Well, I don't know if I stayed with confidence there. (laughs) I love that you just said it. I think it's during that time, for me, the driving factor coming from Athens and wanting to be independent, for me, was important. I need to find a job. I need to pay my way. I need to, you know, sustain myself and I'll find a way to get to where I want to. Because it was important. I don't know, when you're going through the process and you get one rejection after another and people tell you like, you don't have an experience. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm applying to get experience and you don't want to give me this chance. You realize, okay, I got to find an alternative way. And something that my dad always taught me is always find like 10,000 different ways of doing something. Like don't stick to one path and I'm still learning to do it. It's not like I have found the solution. I'm always like, okay, this is how I'm going to get there. I'm usually taking one road. But I think, first of all, you experience a failure, you vent with your girlfriends, you, (laughs) I don't know, procrastinate, you (laughs) start doing something creative, and then you just look for other options. You just, you know, activate your network, talk to people. I think through discussions and through, you know, exchange with others, you see, okay, there are different roads to getting somewhere. And when I actually started at the Institute, I didn't expect to be doing what I'm doing now. And I also love the story that you mentioned that you wanted to go to St. Andrews and then uh, you didn't get in by a point. I actually studied political science because I was a big Model United Nations fan. I did it throughout high school. I traveled the world and I'm like, this is how you can affect change. And then I saw, okay, that's not how the system works. (laughs) You know, it's just a Model United Nations. Mm. And I think also, Sometimes I have this feeling I haven't failed enough because I think through failure, you realize what other strengths you have. And you mentioned you realized you wanted to do communications. I realized I'm not really a political scientist. I love debating. I love, you know, discussing current affairs. But it turned out I actually also love branding and communications and project work and, you know, networking and it didn't necessarily have to do with political science. So I think it was, as I said, a process of venting with friends, talking to my parents, and then looking for new opportunities. But I think I was very driven. I need to find something to sustain myself. For me, it was first, you know, I need to get independent, and then I'll figure out how to get to where I want to go. I also love what your dad taught you and what you also realized yourself is um, because I'm actually reading a book right now called Grit and she studies grit and kind of this whole point about how yes, talent and passion all great and, you know, do something but grit actually makes a difference for most people to be great. And she says the same thing that you just said. She's like, yes, the age old adage of try and then try again is true. But she'd say, think of it as try, try again, and then try differently. As in if the what you're trying is actually not leading you where you want to go, If your end goal is something different, be open to having other ways of getting there, which is exactly what you just said. So I think that's a perfect example of doing that. (laughs) It is a fantastic book, by the way. I truly recommend it. Let's not tell my dad because I think (laughs) he could have written similar books. (laughs) But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's that's also when I'm when, you know, interns apply or people, you know, want to work with us. 
I'm always trying to find those people who might have this extra grit because I think it can go a long way. You can, of course, talent can take you far, but I think, you know, true grit, as the movie says, can take you even further. And sometimes, you know, startups ask for like, what is the one takeaway you want to give us? And I'm one of the many things we can tell or one of the many things I always say is fail as often as possible. Because I think these learnings, we need to destigmatize failure and not as in fail, like lose 5 million, 10 million, 1 billion. It doesn't have to be financial, but try to fail here and there or try to create as many opportunities to receive no's so that you can experience or train yourself to look for alternative options. And I think that's important. And I think that should be also taught in school. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're much more taught about, you know, being the best and actually achieving things rather than how good it is not to do that. I also wanted to go over to the second thing you said about being commended for saying no and standing up and having your voice heard. <laughs> and I think it's so great that you had somebody who positively commented on that and kind of encouraged it. And funny enough, here I have a very dissimilar story. <laughs> uh, I actually had the experience that when I was an intern in South America, actually a female boss at the end of the review told me that everything was perfect aside from the fact that maybe, you know, I should be a little bit softer. And I was wondering what, and she said, like, I was intimidating the men and as the 21-year-old intern. Those moments are crucial that when we're young and you're still trying to figure out who you are and how you should be, especially when it's in a work setting that you've not been in before and it's not school and you don't know what are the rules are. So did you always have somebody positive like that who commended you for it? Or did you ever feel like you were not being encouraged to speak up or speak loudly? And how did you build up the confidence to stand by that and still do that? I think many factors played into that. I also have similar experiences like you were, and I was laughing internally when you said it was a woman who mentioned that. So first of all, going back, when I started sort of my career, if I can call it a career, I had sponsors. I really, and I'm very thankful for them. It wasn't always a harmonious situation. Of course, sometimes I got corrected or, you know, I was given advice like, you know, you shouldn't be too overzealous or, you know, too eager or something like that. But it was a very defining moment. It wasn't because it was very empowering to hear somebody say, okay, you actually have a voice and you have an opinion and I actually trust your expertise, which being a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, you're like, you trust my expertise? Wow. And that was very empowering. But I think it also goes back further. In school, I was always person, I was always the, not the activist. I think I should have become a lawyer because I was always speaking up, defending people. I'm like, what you're doing is unfair. And, you know, I was defending other people and stuff like that. And you shouldn't do it too often. So at some point, people should learn themselves. But I think that was defining. I think my first grade teacher wrote to my parents, she, she wrote a letter saying like, I think Celia has a good career ahead of her as a lawyer. And I'm like, okay, she knows that first in the first grade. I think I have had quite a few people call them sponsors, call them mentors, call them just good friends who I turned to for advice. And they always, you know, gave me feedback and said, no, sometimes it's good to just say no, or sometimes it's good to just, you know, change the course, change direction. I think as a woman in her 20s, you're always impressionable. You're always trying to figure out your way throughout your career. And I think it takes a lot of strength to also learn what advice should I listen to and what should I not take into consideration. Like you mentioned, you got told you should be softer or I've once been told by actually a female role model that I should change my voice because I have a high-pitched voice and men don't listen to me. And it was very, you know, in that moment you're sitting there dumbstruck and you're thinking, 
excuse me, how do I change my voice? I've been having this voice like for the past 25 years. So that was very defining as well. And I think you have to find out for yourself. You have to navigate through the world of, you know, advices and ideas and suggestions and see what works for you. I don't think I have, I've had like one single person who's been with me for the past, you know, five, six years. I think it's been more of a collection of trying out what works and what doesn't work and, you know, seeing whose advice I would listen to and whose I shouldn't be listening to. And I think at the end of the day, if it really makes you feel shit, I'm sorry for cursing, <laughs> if it really makes you feel like shit, then it isn't the right advice. I think there's a way to, to give, you know, your opinion and your ideas. But if somebody actually makes you feel devastated and makes you doubt yourself, I wouldn't listen to them. They might be, but I think at the same time, you need to, you need to navigate like, am I feeling this horribly because they've hurt my feelings? And is there some truth in it? Or is this just something somebody actually trying to hurt me? So I think that's also important. I think that's super important to have. I think one of the things is not have just one voice you listen to because yeah. you know, nobody's perfect. Even as you said, there might be somebody with the best intentions and who you can generally admire, but you're never going to be 100% aligned with anybody. Mm -hmm. So having different people that you admire and also having that strong sense of self of like what you value and how you decide, which is difficult, especially in the beginning where you're still figuring out yourself who you are. It's you know very easy to get waylaid basically by those things. But I think that's why it's important to have other people. And funny enough, what you said about the voice you know, as I said, I'm passionate about amplifying women's voices. And I also teach people podcasting and do workshops and consulting. And so many women come to me and like, I feel like my voice on audio is annoying. And, you know, actually, there used to be a very big movement. And there is that you can do speech training and change your voice yeah. and do all these things. But the reality is, and I tell these people, what you say matters and what you have to say is valuable and you should say it. And that has nothing to do with your voice. My favorite example is uh, Stephen Hawking. I always say that. I'm like, does Stephen Hopping have a nice voice that you like to listen to for extended periods of time? Objectively, probably not. Does he get asked to speak a lot and share what he has to say because it's super important? Yes, over and over. So I don't want people to get hung up on that. And that's why I always hate when people say there's an advice. It's like, sure, you can do things which are like how to make yourself like feel your voice and how to really use it. Those are great things. But have it be your voice, not you trying to be somebody else or even another gender in that sense if you try to be more manlike in how you speak absolutely and i think it's also important i'm always looking for feedback on the way i work or the content i'm doing or you know am i being productive enough am i you know being creative enough that's what you're expecting to hear feedback about i don't care you know nobody should focus on my appearance and also let's be honest would a guy be told you know change your voice or change your appearance. They wouldn't. So why do we focus on women so much about that? I think it's more, you know, as you said, finding your own voice. And at the same time, when you're receiving feedback, like be concrete. I want feedback about my the, the way I work, the content. I don't want to be told, is what I'm wearing, is it right or not? Or does it make me look girlish or childish? Or when did we decide that this is the one role model we should have? We should all wear suits and we should all, you know, wear black suits. I'm a colorful person. Like, I don't want to be told what to wear. So I think it's also, as you said, asking different people, but also being concrete, like being comfortable saying, okay, thank you for this feedback. That was not what I'm looking for. Now, what about the content or the way I work? Like, guide it. I think not often enough we realize that 
we actually have power also in the feedback we receive and the choices we make and the things, the way we act. I think also when discussing like, should we say sorry? I grew up in a, <laughs> in a Greek community or in, Athens, in Greece where women are, are told to be soft-spoken and, you know, getting good grades and, you know, saying sorry and thank you and being polite. And my dad was actually a person trying to give me more confidence. And he was actually, I always call him a male feminist, even if he doesn't know it. He was also always very empowering, telling me like, fight for your independence. That you are the person who's gonna, you're gonna have to fall back on. You won't always have like a support system. Build up your strength. And I think this is something we all should learn more about. We can actually guide the decisions we make and the feedback we receive. And we don't always have to be I think subservient is a bit too harsh a word, but I think there's also some truth in sorry, not sorry, like saying, okay, thank you. I've heard you. I'm not going to take this advice because I don't think it's, you know, appropriate, or I don't think it's something that's actually going to help me improve the quality of my work. So I think we should also find this inner strength and develop it. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really, I mean, some Patricia Marks movement that's taking place, especially with women. There's been so many new topics about this. I recently read a new book that came out by Rachel Hollis, which is Girls Stop Apologizing. And it's all <laughs> about these things, both the apologies that we do to others and to ourselves, and also about living big, not just like the small things, but the things we want and the ones that we're going after. Want to start your own podcast? I'm sure you're brimming full of awesome ideas about the kick-ass episodes you'll be recording. I know I was when I got started. One thing I wasn't so excited about, having to figure out all the tech logistics of getting my podcast live. Cue my lifesaver, Blueberry. After some intense research, I settled on Blueberry as my podcast host. And almost three years later, I couldn't be happier. Why? Because setup is easy and fast. There is a WordPress integration, and they've got awesome sauce statistics you can nerd out on. If you want to focus on being a boss and creating great content, I've got a special offer for you at leadingrebels.com slash blueberry. One free month of hosting or statistics. Again, that's leadingrebels.com slash blueberry. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Now back to today's episode. I also saw like an interesting connection between your first row moving your last. Because you mentioned in your first one, you were talking to a lot of people and basically asking for a chance. And they were saying, you don't have the experience, you don't have the X, Y, Z. And you're like, well, but how am I going to get there if nobody gives me a chance in that sense? And now your last one is that you do that. You do work with people who haven't been maybe given a chance or don't have the mile-long credentials to do something. Is that something that was conscious to you or did you're, is it something that's just coming up now that there might be a correlation between the two? <laughs> I don't think I'm doing anything consciously. <laughs> I think it's something more instinctive, trusting my guts. I don't know. It's important to me to pay it forward. I think I'm still learning and I hope I'm going to be learning until I'm 100, if I ever get to that age, that I'm going to be learning from, you know, people no matter what background. And I think I'm trying to pay it forward. I enjoy, you know, working with people, supporting people who might not have had a chance and then helping them grow. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm always right or anything. I always tell them, don't listen to what I'm saying. Like ask 10 different people uh, based on what, what I'm saying, but giving them a chance to see this is how it could work and also learning from them. I think it's also important. 
everybody has something to give. Everybody has something to teach. Everybody has something to add, whether it's an idea, an opinion, a suggestion, whatever. And I think I'm, I'm doing it unconsciously. Perhaps I'm also rooting for the underdog. For me, it's just important to pay it forward, to say, okay, I'm going to bet on somebody. And of course, I'm also covering my bases. I'm not just going to, you know, just pick some a ran a random person. I think when you look at somebody's background, you see similarities or you see, you know, suggestions that say, okay, they might have it in them or they might contribute something new. And I think it's also important to spice things up. Don't take the person who's stuck to a specific formula, which we think leads to success or leads to better results. Give it a try with somebody new and see what they have to add to the process. Yeah, even to my interns, I'm like, speak up. And I often see it, they don't, they feel afraid or they don't, you know, get enough speaking time. And I'm like, okay, do you want to give me your ideas? Do you want to, you know, run them by me beforehand so that you feel comfortable to speak up in the meeting? Or, you know, we just call upon them and everybody can help everybody else grow. I think just the idea that we're sitting here and discussing things helps me grow as well. And I'm taking your learnings with me and going to apply them to the next person or pay them forward. But I think it's mainly an instinctive and conscious thing. Perhaps it's part of my psyche of the person I've become. I'd also love to hear some examples because I know this is what you do at Eflane <laughs> in a way. <laughs> the whole Eflane Accelerator is built around giving chances to, you know, maybe communities that are not such startup hubs or bubbles as Silicon Valley and Berlin and other of these places, but who are still working very hard, especially to empower women. What are some cases where you found those, I'd say, like hidden gems that people were not giving the attention or the resources to and what they did with that? If I could, I would say all 15 <laughs> startups we've supported so far have been hidden gems, you know, of their own kind. But there are a couple of examples, you know, specific ones. I was talking yesterday to one of the founders we supported who's based in Pakistan. She's trying to democratize the healthcare system because... People, especially in rural areas, don't have access to doctors, don't get easily doctor's appointments, don't have, you know, access to information. And she is truly a hidden gem because people are very biased. What's, you know, about Pakistan? They don't want to invest in that field. They don't see any potential because they believe the country is, you know, not stable enough or it would not be a secure investment. And she was surprised that we took a chance on her. And at the same time, she was also surprised. I really fought for them because they got picked, but then their visas got denied. And so I was working together with my team for at least three weeks to try and get them to Berlin. And, you know, the response we got, she was like, oh my God, I thought like after the first two days, you would just give up. And I'm like, no, we gave you this chance and we want to have you here. And we found, you know, digital ways to include her. And she is truly a fighter, her background. And it's interesting also to see how, you know, she's pivoted. She was giving me feedback on how, you know, she's changed, not the direction of the company, but she's gone instead of being fully digital, she's combining it with creating hotlines because a lot of people just want to call somebody and talk about their health problems. So she was somebody who I realized, okay, we're, we're supporting here the underdog, but at the same time, she has huge potential and the business has huge potential. So that was one of the examples where she didn't really get the chances she wanted. And she's also a woman in a very, very male-dominated society. She keeps telling me that a lot of people still don't understand, you know, what she's doing, why she's doing it, what, her ex what experience she has. So she still is very inspiring to see and to follow. Another example was also one of our startups that was based in Morocco. So the founder is Samia Haimura. 
and she was trying to create a security solution that you know empowers women and she's been through challenges as well coming from a very male dominated country trying to fight her way through and pivoting her startup as well so i think i think i could talk about all 15 companies we've supported so far about how giving people chances that they haven't had before it's also inspiring to see because as part of Eflane, they receive a small stipend of 12,000 euros. And it turns out when we hear stories of them telling us, oh my God, thank you. We actually found a way to hire the first person or to actually pay, you know, the people that work for us or like open up an office or whatever. I think that shows you what impact you can achieve. And 12,000 isn't much perhaps when you're based in Berlin. But for them, it's, it goes a long way. And, you know, and additionally to that, they receive, of course, mentoring, access to networks and coachings. But it's inspiring to see what challenges they faced and how we actually create some impact. Maybe for the listeners who don't know, what is the brief description of what yes, Eflane does? sure. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I always assume everybody knows. So Eflane is a social tech female empowerment accelerator. That means we look for startups that use technology to create a positive social impact. They solve specific societal challenges, but at the same time, the businesses need to be either led by women, founded by women, or use technology to empower women. So we have found a niche of you know social impact, tech, and female empowerment, because we've seen that on the one hand, social tech startups don't have it as easy as perhaps regular tech startups, because people don't always believe in impact, don't always believe that impact can be, you know, can have a return on, on investment or can offer a return on investment. And at the same time, for us, it was important to create a div more diverse field. That's why we want to show that tech can be used to empower women, which is a market segment, let's say, that has been often, you know, left out. But at the same time, also support female founders who are struggling more than, you know, male founders in that field. So Eflin is definitely a great resource if you're one of those women or women empowering startups. What are other resources that you would recommend to the rebels listening about how to do things on their own terms? First of all, I'm always saying try to look for different avenues. Don't always stick to just books or just podcasts or just, you know, apart from this one, of course. So a couple of inspirations with regard to, I'm going to start with articles. Because it's interesting, there are two articles that I really, really love that, you know, I'm suggesting everybody should read. One is by Danielle Kayemba, she's called. It's a Refinery29 article titled The Silent Rise of the Female-Driven Economy, which really shows how business or, you know, how traditional startups, companies have left out this female perspective, the female market. And there's a lot of potential in there. And it also combines it with tech, showing how tech specifically has left out, you know, the female perspective. A second one is, I'm going to curse again, and I completely apologize. Um, the author is called Paulette Perhack, P-E-R-H-A-C-H. -H. She has written about the fuck-off fund, which was very important to me because it was, it showed that women should create well, it was specifically directed at women, but I think it applies to everybody. They should create a fund which gives them the freedom to say no, to leave a bad, what, is it a bad relationship? Is it a bad job? Any bad situation they might have that gives them the independence of saying, okay, I have a fund that I can fall back on. And that gives me the freedom of saying, okay, I can leave the situation and create a new opportunity. And I think this is something 
I'm actually telling everybody should do. Because it gives you, you know, freedom of choice and opportunities. With regard to books, I'm just a huge fan of Trevor Noah. And his book, Born a Crime, is fantastic. And it's fantastic because, on the one hand, I don't have anything really in common with him. He's had such a tough childhood. But just, you know, seeing the world through his eyes and seeing how he's dealt with situations and how that has, you know, made him into the person that he is, I think it's just a very inspiring story. And since we're in the South African space, definitely, definitely check out this spoken word poet. She's called Puno Selesho. I saw her at the Republica, which is a German conference here that takes place in May, I think two years ago. And she was talking about the impact of and the importance of supporting women. And it was such a powerful piece. It, it really moved me. And what she's been doing has been fascinating. And people might say it's a bit silly, but the Hollywood Roundtable, or oh, TH, the one, Hollywood, yeah. sorry, the Hollywood Reporter does roundtables. And I actually watched them just for fun. There's a specific one that's absolutely fantastic. It's from 2016. It's the Comedy Actresses Roundtable. And for me, it was one of the most diverse roundtables I had seen. And at the same time, every issue they discussed, I could relate. And I'm not in the same industry or the same field they work in, but it was interesting. They were discussing about, you know, representation and diversity and about everyday examples of, you know, feminism and female empowerment. And it consists of, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross and Gina Rodriguez and Amy Schumer and Kate McKinnon, and just their perspectives combined into everyday issues of discrimination and challenges and representation. It was very, you know, moving and interesting, and it had an impact on me. I really, really loved that. And the last one, you know, I've been looking a lot into uh, spoken word artists and the way they discuss critical societal issues. You can find it on YouTube. It's called How to Translate a Joke. And I forgot her name. Perhaps I'll remember it later on. And it's fantastic because she says, first of all, she discusses how we talk about women in different languages. And actually, we talk about women very, very badly in every language. And it's the same. And she's like, this issue, this problem translates into different languages and we should address it. And that was also very eye-opening to me. That's definitely really awesome. Mr. Whitney, I will include all the links in the show notes. Perfect. So I will have everybody find everything. <laughs> Fantastic. The last question I'd love to ask you is, how did your life change when you started doing things on your own terms? I have to say, it always has changed towards the positive. And, it's, and each time it's been surprising, because I often fall into a rut, into a certain situation of saying, okay, I'm, I'm doing things the usual way or the traditional way. And then each time I take a risk, it has paid off. And then I'm always asking, why don't I take more risks? There was one situation, I was unhappy with the job that I had because it wasn't fulfilling. I didn't see the point of going through the specific hassles and challenges that came with the job. And I actually had the guts to say, I'm sorry I'm doing this, but either there's another opportunity or I'm out. I'm going to look for something else. And a week later, they were like, okay, no, we have a new opportunity and let's discuss it. So I think when I'm doing things on my own, because also, once you decide to do something on your own, you put your whole, you know, your heart into it and your passion and your strength and you actually work on it. And I think it always leads to positive results. And if it doesn't, it's another learning. So 
just get over it and try a new road. Where can people find you, connect with you? And I also know there's an exciting blog coming soon. So <laughs> you, you guys should definitely uh, stay tuned for that. I can be found on Instagram, on the blog, which we're going to be launching next week. And it's called Gal Talks Tech. I'm launching it with this amazing person, Cosina Richter, who's also a feminist and empower uh, one of my close friends, a great supporter. And I'm also on Twitter, but I think the best way would be go to the blog and see and learn more about me there. Do you already have a URL for that that I can send people to? Yeah, sure. We're included. It's galtalkstech.com. Awesome. And by the time you're rebel, you're listening, the blog will already be live. So you can go right away and check it out there. I'll, of course, also include that in the show notes. I would love for you to take, you the listener, not you, Celia, <laughs> uh, to take Celia's advice about to think about what are the things that you actually do want to say no to? What are projects that you've said yes to it of, you know, not making a fuzz? Or are there times that somebody said something you haven't spoken up against it? Just kind of think where are the lines in your life where you feel you want to say no more and practice doing that. And if I may add a last thing, I always like to use one specific quote by Jane Fonda, just because she's, you know, <laughs> she's on the rise again. She's, I think, 82 years old and absolutely kick-ass, which was, it's more important to be interested than to be interesting. So take up every opportunity of asking people, many, many different people about their ideas, suggestions, I think, because we shouldn't focus on being interesting. We should focus on learning as much as possible. Perfect note to end on. Thanks so much, Celia. Thank you. Love today's episode? Spread the love. Screenshot today's episode and share that you're tuning in on social media to inspire more women to be a leading rebel in their life. And make sure to tag me so I can send you a personal thank you. All the leading rebel social media links are in the show notes. Until next time.